0: Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, Freedom Church. How are you doing this morning? Man, I'm Exc- aren't you excited with all the great things that God is doing in the church man we are a church of multi-ethnic uh we thank God that we look like Walmart but not only that we have several generations in this church and we're thankful that God is moving and doing some amazing things as you could see uh we got some brand new drums those electric drums that's man and uh I know you guys got an email this week that our chairs were supposed to be in because of the ice storm that got delayed. They will be in on Monday. So write this down. If you can be here Tuesday from 1 to 4 to help us get all the chairs, all these out there, we will. if you can volunteer Tuesday from 1 to 4, help us and the staff get everything going, and we will have cushy chairs unless an ice storm or another snowpocalypse comes our, our way. Man, here's what I've learned during this project. You can't make any timelines because you don't know what's going to take place. Man, here's the, the journey of this is when you do a project when you do church planning you realize only God's in control and he just walked through that and he, here, here's what I want to tell you thank you for giving thank you for sewing into this building project and you know if you've ever done a remodel sometimes the numbers come up higher than you think but man it doesn't it look good in here and we're just about like 50 to 60 percent done right now the upstairs is being done right and we have panels sound panels we're going to get some cordless mics all this things taking place and we want to do this debt-free and and, and, and and we've we've had some money that have come in that we've even gone on to savings to do this. We're hoping to sell our property. We haven't done that yet. But here's what I'm going to challenge you. If you have not given above and beyond to your tithe the tithe offering, I want to challenge you to make a gift to invest into this what God is doing here. Maybe you can buy a chair, a chair I think is like uh, 50 bucks a chair. Maybe I can sponsor some seats, but I want to challenge you this morning if you believe what God is doing here to give above and beyond your tithe and say, "God, I want to get this done and we want to do this debt-free and then set ourselves in a place where we can start building the other buildings so let's man if you man i I just pray the lord just maybe speak to some of you i know you got the resources to do that but let's finish this out strong and let's see what god has in store for us so this morning we're starting a brand new series called rival when you think of rivals what do you think of if you're a basketball fan you think of the lakers and the celtics you think of magic johnson and larry board you know the lakers and the celtics have 34 championships between them 17 apiece in boxing, the greatest rivalry of all time was between who? Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. They fought this epic trilogy. And they fought what many considered the greatest fight of all time, the Thriller and Manila. And after that fight, Muhammad Ali said this, it was like death, closest thing to dying that I know of. Can you imagine getting in a fight like that? right? And rivals aren't just in sports. They're in every arena in life. For example, if you really love music, back in the day there was an East Coast, West Coast rivalry between Tupac Shakur and the Notorious B.I.G. How many of you guys remember that if you're a child of the 90s and that beef that took place? In, this rivalry literally shaped hip-hop, hip-hop world. It, maybe you like movies and comics. There's a rivalry between DC and Marvel. Who has the better superheroes? Justice League? Man, you got Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman, or do you got the Avengers? How many guys are, say, Justice League and DC fans? How many Marvel? Yeah, that's not much of a... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But a couple years ago, there was a fast food rivalry between Popeye's chicken and Chick-fil-A. Remember that? It it wasn't much of a rivalry. It was just a fad, because Chick-fil-A is the chicken of Jesus, right? That is awesome. Let's be, okay, I just want to know here, how many guys still think Popeye's is better than Chick-fil-A? Wow, a couple of them. Okay. I guess it is a rivalry. But you know what you don't get from Popeye's? My pleasure. I love that. Then there is the Microsoft-Apple rivalry. The Android versus the iPhone. This has been a rivalry that's been going on for years. How many Android users do we have in here? Oh, man, quite a bit. How many iPhone users are in here? Like, I even converted my wife. She was on the dark side. Now she has an iPhone. And she says, I'm not going back. Literally, it took us forever. Rosie did the convincing. She's, she's, she's great at sales. So, so th- like I said, this morning we're starting a brand new series called Rival. Here's a ri- rival is a noun, and this is the definition of rival. It's a person or thing competing with another for the same objective or for superiority in the same field of activity. And the Bible teaches us that you, your soul has three rivals. Your sinful nature, the world, and I'm not talking about the physical world, but the world system, and the devil. But this morning, I want to start off this series by talking about your biggest enemy, the biggest rival that you're ever going to face. You, You know what your biggest rival is? It's not Satan. It's not the world. It's you. It's your own sinful nature. Like, you're your biggest problem. I know I am. Have you ever done things that you said, I know that they're bad? I know I shouldn't do them. I know that they're not good for me, and I did them anyways. Raise your hand. That's everybody. Like, there are some people that they basically say that man is good and that we make good decisions and that from the beginning man is good. Those people have never had kids. You know, my daughters taught me that we're all sinners. That's what Alana taught me. Then when my second daughter was born, Nevaeh, it taught me that some of us are bigger sinners than others. I'm not saying which one is which. Don't imply there. But I remember my little, beautiful, cute little girls, the first thing they used to say was, no, Right? They get a toy, and what do they say? Mine, mine. You see, selfishness and rebellion. Like, I I am convinced that some babies are like vipers with diapers. You know, it's just crazy. Like, God made them so little and cute so you wouldn't kill them, and they made them so small because they wouldn't kill you. Like, have you ever not given your child something they don't want? Like, they go crazy. They get mad. They start throwing stuff. Like, if your child was big enough, they'd probably kill you, right? Moms, you know that. I remember one time Alana is in the crib, me, and, and Jennifer's watching her, and she's not getting what she's wants, and she's screaming, and she's yelling, and Neva- Alana, Jennifer brings me into it and says, I-, I think she, this could be Chucky in there. I'm like, remember we watched? She was just going crazy. Like, don't give a kid what they want, and you'll see how wild they become. Several years ago, uh, a comedian named Flip Anderson wrote this famous quote. The devil made me do it. We like to blame the devil for a lot, don't we? We like to blame others for our own actions. But we don't like into the mirror. We don't like to look in the mirror. We don't like to look at our phone and do put it on a selfie and flip it over and take a selfie and look at and realize we're the own, our own problem. The other day, I, I lost my keys, which I occasionally do. And I asked Jennifer where she put my keys. And she told me she didn't have them. So I kindly and tenderly and patiently told her yes babe you had them last i was blaming her she was blaming me very patiently and godly yeah right we had a friendly discussion of where my keys were for several minutes after i looked everywhere i I reached into my pockets and guess what i found my keys it's like that great theologian steve urkel used to say did i do that I heard a pastor say one time, if you're not the biggest sinner you know, you don't know yourself very well. See, we all fight habits and behaviors that are self-destructive. It could be something as simple as food. I, I know. I love me some food. You can tell by just looking at me. Thank the Lord the Daniel Fest is helping me out. We've got to keep that going. Lord, help me to stay in that right palate. But I'm well aware there's 24,000 calories in a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. But for some reason, when I'm driving 183 and the light of the world goes on a Krispy Kreme, I lose it. I try telling myself the Holy Spirit lives in this incredible temple right here, and I'm not going to have a hot glazed donut off the belt. But you know what happens every time? I find myself driving around Krispy Kreme donuts seven times like the walls of Jericho. Like, don't sit there and judge me. You know you got your own things that you struggle with. I pull up to Krispy Kreme, and I watch as the dough is being baptized in the oil. It's an outward expression of an inward working. I, I just want to taste and see all that the Lord made is good. Even though I know hot now means fat later, I can't control myself when it comes to something as simple as a donut. And I'm not the only one. Here's an encouraging thing. Even the Apostle Paul had struggles with his desires and compulsions. He wrote these famous words in Romans 7, What a wretched, miserable man I am. All the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. He says, who's going to rescue me from this? I've watched Oprah. I've watched Dr. Phil. I've read every book. And then he adds verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body that is so subject to death. And, then in, and I love that. It's a powerful word picture that he puts in verse 24. Who's going to rescue me from this body? Because in the ancient world, they would excommunicate someone from the city who has committed a capital offense. They would chain them to the person that they would be killed face to face, chest to chest. They would be out, left outside the city to die and the diseased body would be and the dead body would begin to rot and it would begin to contaminate the living body and it was a painful excruciating death in the woman world and so Paul when he writes this in verse 24 he's drawing attention to the fact that you are chained chest to chest face to face from this sinful nature that is contaminating you and he says who is going to rescue me ever felt that way he says, I love this. And notice, does it, notice he doesn't say, what will rescue me? He says, who will me rescue me? Because it's a person. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, Jesus gives us victory over our desires, our compulsions, and our sinful nature. Theologians tell us that there are three parts to your victory in Christ. First, salvation. In salvation, you're saved from the very penalty of sin. And then now we're in the process of sanctification. In sanctification, God gives us power over sin. And one day in the exaltation or the resurrection, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. But Jesus has given us victory over sin. And this morning, I want to teach you how you can walk that sanctification out and have power over sin. How many of you guys have some issues, some struggles, some compulsions that you need freedom in this house this morning? And this morning, that's what I'm praying. I've been praying for you, that you would have freedom. So I want us to pray as we get into God's holy word because I believe he's going to give us insight to find freedom. Lord, I pray this morning that you would breathe on this spirit, uh, 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 breathe, breathe on your word. Lord God, breathe on this message. Lord God, that's spoken today. Lord, give me the ease of expression and clarity of thought. And Lord, may your power just bring freedom. Say, Lord, open my ears to hear and my heart to receive what you have for me. Amen. Paul tells us how we find his freedom. He gets very practical with it. That's what I love about Paul's writing in Galatians 5, 16. He breaks down that there is this rivalry, that there is this battle within you that's taking place. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, underline that. That's a key word. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Underline the word desires. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things, underline this next four words, you want to do. So what happens is your sinful nature is keeping you from doing the things you want to do. Well, you felt it. You felt this. If you're a Christ follower, you felt felt this tug of war in your soul with your desires you have these competing desires you want to please God but you also want things that God doesn't want you to have and whatever has the strongest appetite wins and Paul says this this battle that's going inside of you right now this battle in your sinful nature he breaks down the word it's all about your desires the Greek word for desire is the word epithemeia it means an over desire an inordinate desire See, all of us have desires. God is for desires. God created desires. See, what if we didn't have a desire to eat or drink? We would die of starvation and dehydration. What if we didn't have a desire to sleep and rest? We would die of sleep deprivation and we would be in trouble. What if we didn't have a desire to have sex? None of us would be here. The church would be empty, right? Desires are good. Sin is using our God-given desires in God-forbidden ways. Tim Keller says it like this. The way sin works is not necessarily that we want bad things, but we want things badly. That our desire for food, our desire for sex, our desire for success, our desire for money is stronger than our desire for God. And that's what what Paul is saying. The things that you want to do, you cannot do because you have these desires that override what you want to do. So the Greek word epitomeia, it's where we get the word epic. It means these words become the, epi- these desires become the epicenter of our lives. That means you got this epic desire, and it leads you to believe the lie. Unless you do this, unless you have this, your life won't be fulfilled. We, man, psychologists have understood this. It's called impact bias. It's when you're in a store, and all of a sudden you see a cell, and something goes on in your mind, and you want that cell so bad you can't stop thinking about it. This all has to do with your desires. And to gratify the flesh, this is what it means. It means, in a biblical sense, to build your life on your desires. It's an attitude that says, not what Christ wants, but what I want. This is the fleshly attitude, according to Scripture. It's an attitude that says, not Christ, but I. This is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I feel like doing. This is what I think will make me happy. When you live by the flesh, you are not worshiping God. You are well, you're worshiping the tr- trinity of me, myself and I. And when you live like that, you produce what Paul calls the works of the flesh. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. There are three categories that Paul details. There's sexual sins, there's spiritual sins, and there's social sins. The first three works of the flesh have to do with sexual sins. Look, he he uses the word sexual immorality. In the Greek, that's the word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography. It can mean all kinds of variants of sexual immorality, and then impurity and sensuality. Let me tell you, our culture has lost its mind when it comes to sex. But here's what we forget. It was God's idea. It's not like God created Adam and Eve. He says, I'm going to get a Starbucks latte. Came back, man, and saw Adam and Eve, you sicko, Adam. Get off of her. What are you doing, you pervert? It wasn't like that. Sex was God's idea. He put the plumbing in. And God's plan for sex was meant to be between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. It's where a man says, I'm all yours, and a woman says, I'm all yours, you're mine. It's a covenant, it's, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling. It means I'm committing to you, come hell or high water, I'm in this with you no matter what. In a biblical marriage, your bodies are joined together, your lives become one, and that joining together of your bodies means a oneness with your finances, your families, everything. The physical oneness of sex is to be followed by the oneness in every other area of life. And sex outside of marriage separates the physical oneness from every other else oneness. And it's, and it says this. You're saying to the person, I don't want all of you. I just want to use your body. I'm just, go, I'm, I'm just using you as an object. Hey, I don't want your problems. I don't want your... Man, because when you become one, it's death. And until death do his part, you share in joys and sorrows, you share in richness and you say, in, in poverty, you say, I am joining to you no matter what. And the reason that sex outside of marriage is against biblical values is because you reduce somebody to an object rather than in the image of God. And you're taking from them what you were never meant to take from them. That's why we need to walk through this. I know this is not popular preaching, but this is Bible. Man, we gotta be connected to that, that person. And these are there are other two words that have that have to do with spiritual sins. Idolatry. A.W. Tozer says idolatry is worshiping anything else other than God, includes yourself. Then the word sorcery. This word can be translated witchcraft. It's attempting to control God. And the sad thing about this is we have culture, and we have some theologies where we make ourselves the center and we could say, oh, it's all about me. It's all about my wealth. And sometimes some Christianity can be sorcery and witchcraft. I'm just saying. Because we serve a God who's sovereign. It's not about me. It's about him. God's not a genie in a bottle that we control. He's the sovereign God that I bow down to. Then there are eight words that describe how the flesh destroys relationship with social sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, Envy. Then there are two words that deal with social substance abuse, drunkenness and orgies. These two words are linked. This is not sex orgies, but drinking orgies. And notice how Paul ends verse 21. And things like these. Like there's a song that I grew up singing that I taught my girls. I would just use to annoy my youth pastor, and my girls annoy me. It's like this. This is a song that doesn't end as it goes on and on. My friend. Remember, I would just sing it for hours and hours, and my girls start singing it. And that's what Paul is saying this is a list that doesn't end. It goes on and on, my friend, over and over and over and over. And notice the sins are characteristics. Some are characteristic to religious people, selfishness, envy, jealousy, factions, while others are more characteristic of rebellious people or irreligious people, immorality and drunkenness. But the list shows that God does not make distinctions that we commonly do. He does not see sex and drunkenness as more sinful than jealousy and selfishness. But here's what we learn: that the flesh will always lead you into slavery. It'll lead you to be bound to your desires. How do you know you're following the flesh? Here's how you know you're a slave to something. You have to have it. You're addicted to it. And, and let me tell you, addiction isn't just about substances, uh, substances, and pleasures. It shows up in every area of your life. It could be in your job. If your jo- job doesn't go well, you just lose it. You're like, oh! Your kids don't get a certain grade. Oh, I've gained a few pounds. What causes you to fall apart? You're always a slave to something. You've got to have it because you're dependent on it. And we live in a culture that is dependent on everything else other than Jesus. It, what causes you to worry? What brings out anxiety? What do you get envious over? Oh, my neighbor got a nice car and I don't know. What, what causes you to fall apart? What makes you angry when it doesn't go your way that it causes you to bitterness? It says, hey, I know I want this more than what God wants. That's what idolatry is. It's a life that says not Christ, but I. And this is very important. I want you to notice this. This is not a list of how bad people live. No, at all. It's a list of what sin, what our over desires makes all of us do. We make this pragmatism and we make this just a list of things that we do. No, this is about following the spirit or following the flesh. And it produces different things in our lives. And how many of you guys are guilty to be on that list? I know I am. And look at the warning that Paul gives. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've all followed our desires. We've all learned that our desires always overpromise and underdeliver. But Paul says there's another way of living, thank God. He gives us a dark way of living, and he says there's another way of living. It's a way of living where you follow the Holy Spirit. And this is the way what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? John 14 says it brings glory to Jesus. It brings all our affection, our attention on Jesus, and the Spirit-led life says, not what I want, but what Christ wants. Flesh attitude says what I want, not what Christ wants, but a Spirit-led attitude says no longer I, but Christ And when we live in step with the Spirit, this is what it produces, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He says there's a different type of life, and it produces a totally different way of living. Instead of being focused on pleasing yourself, you desire to please God. And when you live to please God, this is what it does in your life. Your life is filled with love greek word there is agape means you start to love other people joy you have this delight in god that goes beyond your circumstances peace this restful confidence that god is fully in charge even when it looks like things are going crazy and he's going to work out everything for your good patience patience towards people because you're patient towards people because christ was patient towards you patience in circumstances kindness there's this goodness that flows out of you and goodness the greek word there is that kusono i probably mispronounced that but it literally means that you're good to the core when you pull back all the layers of your life there's no hidden agendas in your life you're just a good person then there's faithfulness you're committed to god and other people gentleness the word pratos it means humility that you're not walking entitled and self-control even though you have desires your desires no longer control you because you are led by the spirit Paul says, against against these things, there's no such love. The flesh produces bondage and slavery, but Paul tells us the Holy Spirit produces freedom and fruit. And it's interesting that Paul uses the word fruit here to describe the type of change that the Spirit brings in our lives. He's deliberately evoking a metaphor of botanical growth. And this is a biblical metaphor because 1 Peter 1 says this, that we were born... The, with this imperishable seed from the word of God. Psalms one says, "The righteous are like a tree planted by the streams of living water." So this botanical growth process and what Paul is describing, is something we see throughout scriptures to describe how we as believers change and grow. And here's what I want you to know: Spirit-led change is gradual sometimes. There, there's moments where God comes and he changes your desires and those different things, and in one moment, he changes the way you think. if any man be in Christ you' a new creation. But here's the reality. Most of the change in my life, he, he's still working on me, right? It's gradual. When it comes to change, I want you to think of your life. Think of it like planting. You put a seed in the ground. The plant doesn't grow immediately. It takes time. You look at your kids, and you literally don't see them physically grow. But if you're like us in our old house there in Bobcat, we put, there was this doorpost where we put all their heights every year, and we kind of see how they grow. You don't see it day to day, but if you look back over the years, you can see the growth. And Holy, the Holy Spirit changes the same way. Day to day, you can't see it, but as you look back over time, there you will see it. Yeah, sometimes you'll hit growth spurts, but also you'll hit seasons of growth where it's a winter season, when it doesn't seem like God is moving on your life, but he is moving. And this is how you know that you're growing spiritually. You can't tell that you're growing spiritually until trouble comes, until temptation comes. Somebody is rude to you, and you don't fly off the handle anymore. Somebody cuts you for 35, and you're not giving them a Texas hello anymore. You're praying for them. Temptation comes your way, and you say no. That's how you know that the Spirit of God is working in your life. The second way that Spirit-led growth is, it's inevitable. Tim Keller says this, that you are saved by faith, not fruit, but you will not be saved by fruitless faith. Oh, I love that. Real faith in Jesus will eventually always lead to change and growth. So you've got to ask yourself the hard questions. Am I more like Jesus today than I was last year at this time? Do I have secret sins that I, won't, I can't let go of? Am I always getting my feelings hurt? Am I impatient? Am I envious? Am I jealous? Am I always gossiping? You've got you to ask yourself the hard questions. Do I look like Jesus more today than I did tomorrow? And after you ask yourself that question, ask your wife and ask your kids. Because if you're not growing, you might not be following the Spirit. And I want you to understand this, and this is so important too. Spirit-led change is symmetrical, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Notice, Paul doesn't say fruits. He uses the word fruit, singular. Predicate is, that's plural. Paul did this on purpose to show us that all the things are linked together, the fruits are linked together. That means when one of these areas is growing in your life but not the others are growing, you got to wonder if it's really fruit. That you're only as mature as your weakest fruit. John Stout, the great theologian, says that God doesn't that God doesn't create any lopsided believers. That we all look like Christ. For example, have you ever seen somebody that's so kind but they're just out of control? Like, man, they're nice to everybody, but you get them on the party or you get them after, the, after work, they just go crazy and, like, they, they got no control. You know why? It's probably because that person has a kind temperament. It has nothing to do with spiritual fruit in your life. But what commentators tell us is the fruit is linked to each other. For example, joy is connected to self-control. Because when you have joy in Christ, you won't look for joy in food and alcohol or sex because you live self-control, that you're satisfied in Christ. It's like the psalmist said, in his presence there's fullness of joy. That's why Thomas Aquinas said this, Man cannot live without joy. Therefore, when he is deprived from true spiritual joy, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures or desires. See, This is what the fruit of the Spirit, you know what the fruit of the Spirit, Colossians 1 says this, that Jesus is the first fruit of all creation. When you give yourself into the fruit of the Spirit, you're becoming like Jesus. Jesus is full of love. Jesus is full of self-control. Jesus is full of goodness. You are being changed into the image of God. And you, the Bible says this, Alexander Swolstein says that the line of good and evil is in the heart of every man. So we all reflect God in some way. But the reason that we know that we're truly walking in the Spirit, that every area of our life begins to walk like, the fruit of the spirit not just one part of it and paul closes by telling us i know man you're like benito get practical with me i know this is good but like i want to grow right paul does that here he does it he closes by telling us how we can grow in verse 24 those who belong underline that word to christ jesus have crucified underline that the flesh with its passions and desires and if we live by the Spirit, let, also, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Paul gives us two instructions that he gives throughout the writings. You'll see this again in different writings in Corinthians. You'll see it in Hebrews of how we do this. He says we've got to crucify the flesh and we've got to live by the Spirit. So let's unpack. What does it mean to crucify the flesh? Because with, with your flesh, you have two options. Paul says this, you can gratify it or you can crucify it. And Paul says this, our main problem is that we want things too much. So here's how you crucify the flesh. You find those things in your life that are too important to you, more important than Jesus, the things that are loving and creating the works of the flesh in your life, and you go kill them. You crucify it. What's the one thing that just gets me out of control? The Puritans call this the mortification of the flesh. And Paul said this in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, and they keep you, they keep you from doing the things you want to do. Why can't I do what I want to do? Why can't I keep following this? Here's the re- this epistle Paul is telling us, because you desire the flesh more than you desire the spirit. So he says, what well, this thing needs to come is you need to desire the things of God before. It all comes. The freedom, it's all about what you want to do. And here's the, so, here's the thing that's revolutionary about Christianity. I'm going to blow your mind here. This is the thing that makes Christianity so different. Every other religion is about doing. The Muslims say you've got to pray certain times a day, take trips to Mecca. Hindus will say, man, you've got to do more good works and bad works for your car. It's all about doing, doing. Jehovah Witness says if you tell enough people about Jesus and all these different things, you'll make the 144,000. You know what Jesus says? It's done. This is how change takes place. If any man be in Christ, their new creation, the old has come and the new. The old is gone and the new has come. And being a Christian here's it's not about doing the right things. It's about a new desire, to desire the right things. And only the Holy Spirit can change that. That's why you got to be led by the Spirit. It's not about what you do. It's about the Holy Spirit giving you a desire for him. And that's the work of the Spirit that only God can do in your life. The Holy Spirit makes you new. This is when I became a creation, and I became a Christian I remember going to school as a 15 year old boy and all my friends would tell me oh Benito man you can't party anymore you can't sleep around you can't get drunk look they told me all the things you that I couldn't do anymore and I looked at them and says you know what it's not that I can't do those things I can do those things if I want to. I don't desire those things anymore I desire to follow Jesus I desire to go Friday night to church I desire to read my Bible I desire to please God I don't want to live like that anymore it's a desire it's not a do list and for many of us, we try to win this battle by ourselves. i got to do this. i got to do this. i got to pick my boots up. I gotta, you cannot do it on your own. But the Bible says that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. And He gives you victory. For the non-believer, their deepest desire is sin. But for the Christian, their deepest desire is the Spirit of God. A true Christian doesn't say, I have to pray today. I have to go to church. I have to tithe. No, they say, I I get to pray today. I get to go to church. I get to serve. I get to give. See, the Holy Spirit changes your want to so you can learn the how to. The want to precedes the how to. It's like this story of the sheep. Say there's a sheep and there's this pig. And here's the thing about a pig. A pig, when it gets in the mud, what does a mud pig love to do? It, it loves to get in the mud. It loves to play around. It loves to eat nasty stuff. I remember as a kid, we'd go down there and we would literally kill a pig. And we'd eat tacos. It was pretty awesome. Some people would eat pig head. It was just disgusting, some stuff. But, but if you've ever been around pigs, they're the nastiest, dirtiest animals you can ever imagine. They love, they have a different nature. But what happens if you get a sheep and you throw it on the ground? And it's all full of mud. This is what the sheep will do. It'll get up and say, I don't belong here. I want to get clean. I mean, I I know I fell for this moment, but there's a new nature. See, the thing about a a pig nature and a sheep nature is they're two totally different natures. A pig nature enjoys getting down in the muck and the mud, but a sheep nature wants to get up and say, you know what, I got a new desire and I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. And that's the same thing as a Christian. You have these competing desires, but you're ultimately, your desire for God needs to trump your desire for things. And how do you do that? You live by the Spirit. You listen to the Spirit's desire. Because I, I, I want to bring your attention to this. Remember, I'm talking about botanical growth. We can't make fruit grow. No matter what, you just gotta put a seed, you gotta nurture it, you gotta take the weeds out, you gotta put it in front of the sun. You gotta feed. That's the same thing. And this, this is so important. We can't make fruit grow, but the Holy Spirit can. But the problem for most Christians is where don't create these avenues and these disciplines for the Spirit to do what He wants in our lives. That's why fasting is so important. Because some of you guys said, I'm seeking God. I'm, I'm beginning to get in touch with Him. You know why? Because you are creating and you are cultivating an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can move in your life. And if you want to be led by the Spirit, you must learn to cultivate an atmosphere and a climate where God can come in and He can bring change that you can never bring. See, we battle against the flesh by listening to the Spirit. And this is not a doing issue, it's a being issue. The Bible talks about sin and sinners 300 times. Only three times in the New Testament does it refer to a believer as being a sinner. And each unclear and never in the same sentence. It never identifies a believer as a sinner. But you know what the believer is identified through in Scripture over and over again? In Christ. 216 times in christ so let me ask yourself let me ask you this question do you see yourself in your sin or do you see yourself in christ how do you see yourself because if you see yourself with your sin and your problems it, it, it'll 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 mess you up it'll control you see the major problem we have in our culture the major problem we all deal with it's an identity problem people identify themselves with their sexual desires people identify themselves with what do you do with their job with their promotion with their success they identify themselves with their addiction i'm an alcoholic i'm a drug addict and this is what the spirit of god it takes your identity away from your desires and it puts it on jesus and it says you're no longer identified by the things you do now you're identified what christ did for you And here's what the spirit wants to do. The spirit wants to glorify Jesus in your life. The spirit wants to make Jesus the center of your life. The spirit wants to make Jesus the epicenter of every desire in your life. He wants to fill you with desire to follow Jesus. That's the spirit's passion. That's what it means. It says, I want the spirit to fill me with desire for him. And more desire for Him will ultimately take away my desire for everything else. Because it will show you that the love of God is greater than anything else. It's what Puritans call the expulsive power of a brand new affection. That though this gripped me, when I found Jesus, the grip breaks. And I can find freedom because all of a sudden I find freedom in Him. So I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Say this morning... I need you know, I'm battling with my sinful nature. We all are. So here's the prayer that you need to pray. I don't want to be bound. I don't want to be controlled. Say, Lord, fill me with desire for Jesus. Fill me with desire for Jesus. And that's his job. He does that. But now your job is cultivate and create the atmosphere so the fruit can grow me say, Pastor B, I need more desire for Jesus today. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I want us to stand to our feet. This is what I want to do. Sometimes I believe that a physical step creates a spiritual reaction. by telling the spirit lord i'm serious this year i want to be filled with more desire for jesus i want you to come to the front i'm not even going to pray for you. this is you and god i want you to come to the front i want you to raise your hands to heaven and i want you to say god fill me with desire for you and i'm going to pray that this is a year where we find freedom as we sing this song if that's your heart just just say god you see my heart today i want to be filled with desire for you Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.